Sorry, 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 sorry. Yes, I know I'm late. I'm late. I'm late, but I'm ready to start the show. So uh, you give me the word, Krill, and um, and we'll begin. All right? Okay. Krill, you there? Krill. Smashing Security, Episode sixty-two. Tinder spying. Amazon shoplifting and petrol pump malware with Carol Terrio and Graham Cluley. Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 62 of Smashing Security. I'm Graham Cluley, and I'm not joined by my regular co-host, Carol Terrio. Bad news for her many, many fans. Unfortunately, Carol is unable to join us today because she's on a top secret assignment. However... We are enormously lucky to have two guests, two people who've starred on Smashing Security before, and they are going to jump into her sizable shoes. We've got Vanya Schweitzer and David McClelland. Hello, guys. Hi, Graham. Hello, Vanya. Hello, Graham. Hi. Thank you for coming along and uh, stepping in because she wasn't able to make it today. David, you leave a very glamorous life. You're normally whizzing around places and Well yeah. Is it correct, David? I don't know if I've if I don't know if this is a myth or something. Mm-hmm. Is it correct that you have been in pantomime? Oh yes I have. Um <laughs> Oh no you oh, no, didn't. Oh, yes. <laughs> so the big story well, yeah, the, the the backstory there is back in the nineties I actually trained to be an actor and I went to drama school here in the UK right. for three years in uh, lovely Guildford and um, pretty much every year since I left in two thousand I've done panto in one part of the country or another love it it's pretty much what christmas has been about for me for years and years and years but i've got a young family of my own now and the whole thing about going to a random part of the country and entertaining thousands of other people's kids but not being there for my own i it just got a little bit much so this year i decided to take a year off to uh, hang up my tights and my <laughs> and my makeup, and to um, to see my kids do their Christmas shows instead, and lovely it was too. So, so what you're saying is that uh, that life it's it's behind you. Well, perhaps I'm, I'm not going to lie. Can I, can I just can I just say that for a continental European, that is one of the most bizarre thing that you can in- encounter and experience in the UK. The pantomime, all the pantomime thing. I was like. What's this pantomime? Everybody's saying go for a Christmas pantomime. And then we went and we're like, oh, and then we went again because it was just great. I don't think it's just for you Central Europeans, Vanya. I think it's also for Americans and most, to be honest, many of us in the UK, we don't, what on earth is that all about? But maybe, maybe that is a topic for another podcast because we are going to talk about security today and what's been happening in the crazy world of computers and how computers can go wrong. And we're going to find out more about that after this break, where I believe my illustrious colleague, we've got Kroll pre-recorded, and she's going to fill us in on who our sponsors are. Smashing Security is supported by CloudBerry. Now listen to this. With CloudBerry, you can back up files, folders, and system images to the cloud storage of your choice with built-in 256-bit encryption, ensuring your precious data remains private. CloudBerry supports over 30 cloud storage providers working on Windows, Macs, and Linux. Plus, no subscription. You pay only once. So download a free trial at cloudberrylab.com. But there's more. You can 
should also go to smashingsecurity.com forward slash Cloudberry Lab to get a whopping 30% off the Windows desktop version. That goes for about 20 bucks. Boom. This episode of Smashing Security is also sponsored by LastPass. LastPass Enterprise makes password security effortless for your organization, simplifying password management for companies of every size with the right tools to secure your business with centralized control of employee passwords and apps. Now, LastPass isn't just for enterprises. It's an equally great solution for business teams, families, and single users alike. You can go to smashingsecurity.com slash LastPass to see why LastPass is the trusted enterprise password manager of over 33,000 businesses. On with the show. Welcome back. Now, one of the things which has caught my eye. Now, I, I think we are all married men, aren't we? Yeah, uh, I, I am. confirmed that. Last time we checked, that's right. And so hopefully we are not regularly participating in that inner circle of hell, which is Tinder. Um, I'm so I'm so glad that my dating days predated the emergence of the Tinder app. Because are I you can, saying that you're not dating your wife, Graham? I, well, look, I, if if she says I'm dating her, then I'm definitely dating her. Look, I don't want to cause any trouble. She has sometimes listened to the show, so I have to be quite careful, Vanya. Thank you for dropping me in it. <laughs> you know what really disturbs me these days is this horrible swipe left, swipe right thing, which I've seen some people do. These these youngsters trying to find themselves a mate uh, are doing this on their apps all the time. It just seems, oh, it's just so ghastly and all the rest of it. Now, what's happened is there are a bunch of Tel Aviv-based security researchers who say that they have uncovered a privacy flaw in the popular app, and they've actually managed to build themselves a tool which allows them to spy on users' Tinder activity. Nice. In fact, what they can do, they can see the actual image that you are looking at on your version of the Tinder app, and they can even determine whether you swiped left or whether you swiped right. Left, by the way, Vanya, just to fill you in, is rejecting, and right means, oh, yes, this is woman who could throw potato over house and would be good (laughs) match for me. She would be able to pull... Pull plow through field. I seem oh. to remember that once at Carol's, actually, we, we had somebody, we had a friend. Uh, she was trying to find a, a date in yes. Oxford. And then yes. we kind of helped. And this is the first time I saw Tinder. And I thought, well, it really is for young people. <laughs> I think everything is for young people these days, isn't it? I mean, that, that's a, maybe that's one of the big stories of our podcast is we talk about things which we get all curmudgeonly about. And then younger people. David's younger than us. David, what do you think of Tinder? Um, I'm happily married with two children, so I do not have any thoughts on Tinder whatsoever, apart from a lot of people who are even younger than me seem to get an awful lot of fun out of it. It's, you know, obviously it's a kind of dating app, but it seems as though people who are in relationships just use it for the giggles as well. I'm not one of those, but um, I'm kind of a bit curious, if I'm honest. It's kind of gamified it all, hasn't it? Anyway, what these researchers have found is that just by being on the same Wi-Fi network as any user of Tinder, whether you're using Tinder on your iPhone or your Android, it is not encrypting. And this is astonishing to me. Mm. It is not HTTPS encrypting the images, which just seems weird and bizarre that it wouldn't be doing that. But it turns out that they're not. And so they can be sniffed out of the air. So if an, if a hacker was on the same Wi-Fi network as you, if he's on the same maybe public Wi-Fi, 
they would be able to see what you are looking at. But more than that, they're able to look at the messages which are being sent as you swipe right or swipe left or make a match. And even though those are encrypted, because those packets of information are of different sizes, you can easily work out what has actually happened. So That's shockingly bad. It is um, astonishing, isn't it? So the pattern is this. Tinder will represent a swipe left to reject a potential date as 278 bytes, and a swipe right as 374 bytes, and a match, well, that brings you up to 581. And so these researchers at Checkmarks wrote their little app, which could intercept all of this information. They put up a video, which we will link to in the show notes. For example, let's like this profile. When you swipe like, you can see here that the image was properly identified as a like. What they can't do, and it's important to stress this, what they can't do is they can't see the messages, which... Mm. Tinder users might be sending to each other. But there's still the potential for some abuse here. You know, not only could a snooper determine maybe your sexual preference or whether you prefer brunettes, redheads, or blondes, or baldies, or who knows what, but they could also potentially even inject their own photographs into the targeted user stream. So I can imagine being, a, you know, lurking in some coffee shop somewhere and thinking, oh, she looks rather lovely. And there she is, you can see her swiping away. And you might sort of beam your own photograph in. And she'd look up and she'd see a handsome uh, computer security <laughs> expert. And, and who knows what might result. The fundamental thing here is, though, that this is uh, a weakness in a smartphone app, mm. um, which has been exploited. One that can't hard but, to believe. But, but to, to, be, to be fair, it's not right. It's not possible to, to, to know who they are, or who, who you are. No. No, you can, no. So you're not getting uh, people's names. Uh, you're not getting people's messages. Um, so this isn't the biggest privacy flaw in the world. But it seems astonishing to me that any of the data which Tinder is transmitting isn't being properly encrypted. It, it just almost seems like it, mm. surely it's more work to pick and choose what you're going to encrypt rather than encrypting anything. So I did a thing for a television programme in the UK here called Watchdog a couple of years ago where we went to a coffee shop and I got my, my hack top out and mm. uh, I did some controlled snooping, I, I have to say, on the uh, wireless network that was in there and, you know, was able to get all kinds of information from, you know, some credit card details, usernames and passwords for email and so on. And it's astonishing what you can see. Yes. But the thing is, is that security experts, you know, we always say, look for the green padlock. When you're mm -hmm. browsing, look for the green padlock. Mm. In an app, there is no green padlock. And you do have, um, uh, you have to have a large degree of trust in the app that they are looking after your data. Yet that does not seem to be in place so even a padlock like that could be misleading of course because i mean what mm. what we'd be looking for there is that that would assure you that maybe the data being sent is encrypted as it's being sent yeah. what it doesn't necessarily say is how secure the infrastructure is behind it the servers which your data is being uploaded to or what they intend to do with that data and whether they're going to be honorable that and, and that would of course would be very difficult for google mm. and Apple to assess. But I, I think you've put your finger on it here, which is that the problem is the apps. There's so much focus on, oh, are iPhones more secure than Android? Or, you know, which is the better operating system? And the, it's kind of ignoring the real issue, which is the security threat of these third-party apps. 
and you can't tell what's going on under the hood. Yeah, that's, that, that is the problem, especially on, uh, I, I would say, like you said, Google, uh, play. Uh, and, and who's not to say that if anybody's publishing an app, they can put their own little padlock mm. on the, on the icon, like on a fake banking site, for example, like where, you know, it tries to convince you it's a real site and it's, it's an HTTPS site while it, in fact, it's not. I mean, to draw the analogy, there are plenty of phishing sites these days, which do have the website padlock which will actually take your information uh, and encrypt it um because that's part of the subterfuge isn't it it's it's not necessarily a guarantee that the people who bought the padlock who, who put the encryption in place are necessarily secure as well but it is astonishing david i mean as your test found out it is astonishing and kind of scary just how much data is flying around inside coffee shops um, being flung from place to place and potentially is available for the bad guys to scoop up. That's why it's super important to actually try to use virtual private network as, as soon yeah. as you, you enter and you log into an open uh, Wi-Fi network. Yeah, I was just taking a look on the Apple site just now because when we did that stunt, um, we had to go back to Apple and to some of the websites that were letting their data flow around pr pretty freely over the network. Uh, Apple talked about application transport security is required in iOS apps submitted after January 2017. I'm thinking, well, hang on a minute. We're in January 2018 mm. now. What happened to all of these extra bits of security? And, and that was expressly for this purpose, that any apps that were sending any data had to use HTTP https rather than http but it looks as though i'm just taking a look now at an article from may last year that apple actually postponed extended the deadline until further notice so while did yeah so while apple did put some infrastructure in place and tried to lay down the law to app developers it looks as though it hasn't enforced that yet well clearly not because i mean i must admit i was when i first read this story i was reading about it on wired magazine and i thought oh that will be the android version because i did think mm. apple had locked down uh, apps on the iphone more to ensure that they were using https and ssl for for transmission of information but it seems from what you're saying that no they haven't but you know i amongst others have been fooled into thinking that somehow these apps were going to be more secure than they actually are not good, but I think your advice, Fania, about using VPNs is, is certainly a good one. And we tackled that in a podcast from, ooh, sometime last year where we uh, focused specifically on Wi-Fi issues, didn't we? And, and discussed uh, how important it is to run a VPN to keep yourself safe online. Absolutely. So, Vanya, what's your story this week? You wouldn't necessarily say it's connected with security. But if you think about it from a different angle, it actually is. And it's about the fact that Amazon has opened its first new shop on Monday to the public and has, which has no shop attendance whatsoever. So there's a lot of technology. Uh, you have to use an app on your phone. You have to register. And the whole workflow is you take the phone, you scan it, and it takes a couple of seconds for the system to uh, log you into the shop. And then you just enter, it's a normal grocery store, you put all the items in your bag, and when you're ready to, to leave, you just leave. So uh, <laughs> it's, 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 it's quite, a, quite an interesting work, workflow so, there. 
Did I, did I hear correctly? So there's no one working inside the shop? Well, yeah. actually, there's only one, well, one person who right. checks your age. If you want to buy any alcohol product, uh, in that case, you need to be over 18. So need, they need to check your ID. That's the only person that works but, there. But how can this work? Okay. So, so anyone can walk into one of these Amazon shops. By the way, isn't it great that Amazon are now opening? high street shops having destroyed much of the high street already um so that they yeah so they're they, even opening some uh bookstores as far as i know in the oh, u.s oh for goodness sake um so so you walk into this shop where there's effectively nobody there right uh, and you can pick up anything off the shelf and then you just walk out and you just what you, is, is this like <laughs> is this like walking into um you know in hotel rooms where you you get the food in a little mini bar is it like that is it, there's some pressure sensors as you pick things up or absolutely how, yes how does this work when you get registered and you get your app when you get in can you impersonate anybody like can you just like put a mask on your face and then in the middle of the the shopping you swap it back and then you you pretend to be somebody else but it seems <laughs> but it seems that the actual system is not working on the face recognition technology which is not proven to be so great this is more on uh, like the the cameras and like visual recognition of the whole body it's like a 3D system of the body and it's able to track multiple people within the shop uh, the only thing you need to do as you enter is to uh, register with your app and even if you have members of your family when you get out everything is put together on a on a receipt and you you get it and it takes it from your credit card so this this is largely done by facial recognition and cameras so which are tracking is there only one person allowed in the shop at a time to do no, this but, but what they're saying is that explicitly what they said is that it's not based on face recognition oh sorry so it really used some advanced 3D cameras and Doppler-like sensors, infrared cameras, but also it has uh, scales on the shelves. So when you take an item, it knows that it took, that you took only one item. And it also has shapes that fit particular items. So, um, some people have discussed that it's actually very good for like a uh, food or any kind of grocery. But if you had items like clothing that looks very similar, like how would you apply a similar technology? So I think this is really um, more or less just a showcase to prove how Amazon has this great technology. And it's quite unlikely they're going to be including it in all of the Whole Foods uh, supermarket chain, for example, anytime what, soon. What this is, is just Jeff Bezos showing off, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Because what would be the point going all this expense and all of this trouble when you could hire someone for minimum wage to just, you know, take your items or whatever or make you go through the checkout. As indeed happens all the time anyway. Yeah, all yeah. this sophisticated technology they're using, it, I'm guessing it's more expensive than having uh, people well, yeah. working there. So I, I guess they want to make it this sort of completely new shopping experience where there are no queues on the tills and whatsoever. But even with the self-checkout, the queues are relatively small and the whole experience of shopping in supermarket is reasonably stress-free if you know where the items are but this is not a supermarket it's really a small shop it's about 1800 right. square feet so it's it's a relatively small store in the downtown of seattle it's bizarre this has set up a new challenge to try and you know overcome overcome amazon's technology and see what you can nick out of the store that's a <laughs> yeah. that, that, that's a tech free sonnet shoplifting for 2018 surely 
Yeah, it seems that the shop is obviously designed for people who are not uh, shoplifters. It's really designed for for like an ordinary people that will come and register. But what if you like jump across uh, yeah. the, the the turnstile? You don't register. Like what happens then? Like all, all the doors shut and they simply shoot you. <laughs> One of the cameras shoots you. It's all the thirty people who are watching on some CTTV cameras, you know, behind mirrors and so. So all the people who would be serving you otherwise are watching to make sure that you're not shoplifting. Absolutely. And there's also a question of, uh, like you said, like if the people are not working as uh, shop attendants, like where do they work? And perhaps they do work behind the mirror somewhere. It's bizarre. I would be tempted to enter with a particularly sticky long coat and then just sort of accidentally bump into items. Which yeah, might but, but you see, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. that, that is a very good technique. And I, I, I would love to see that, Graham. And I would like to see whether your bill would be at the end correct or incorrect. <laughs> I'm also wondering, you know, those sort of umbrella hats you can wear. Yep. If, if you had mm. one of those, if it was large enough or it would extend far enough, surely that would. Ex- there must be people lurking around the back, ready to run out for when the inevitable scam begins to happen. This is maybe this is what this all maybe this is actually genius, right? Maybe this is actually to take off the streets all the scammers and mischief makers and the general miscreants who love to meddle when given a challenge challenge like this and get them all into the same building, you know, and then you can just shut the door and brick them up, couldn't you? Yeah, what 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 if you come with the dog and the dog start taking stuff as well? Yes, well, well you, you know my dog, Vanya. Yes. Uh, he's quite <laughs> any food item. Yeah, it's bound to be grabbed, isn't it? And that will be the last we see of it. Well, so so is the this the end of civilization as we know it? Should we be being worried? I mean, I I think privacy wonks will be slightly concerned, won't they? If they're all these cameras again, once again, yes, I, th- I think I think so intensely. I think that the the problem is not just that it's a showcase for a different shopping experience. That it's a show, showcase for the kind of a mass surveillance uh, application in, in theory. So mm. that's not just based on face recognition, but in, in theory, it can track you wherever you go, everywhere. So we, we just generalize it a bit, <laughs> and then it becomes more scary than it, it is right now. Now it's just a novelty in the show. That's what Jeff Bezos is thinking. He's going to start rolling this out citywide, isn't he? <laughs> They're doing it anyway. He already looks a bit like a baddie anyway, doesn't he? Reminds me of... Um do you remember the hood in Thunderbirds? He was a very scary person. All right, David, what's your story this week? Well, I'm going to talk about petrol pump malware. Wow. And so this is the story that the uh, the, the Russian uh, sir, the security services, the FSB, have, um, have uncovered a criminal gang that was overcharging customers at gas stations across pretty much the entire of the south of Russia, by the sounds of it. And uh, what these guys were doing were installing some malware onto the petrol pumps and also onto other bits, onto the tills and onto some of the back-end systems as well, that was shortchanging those people who were filling up their cars with petrol by up to about seven or so percent. This malware was incredibly difficult for the authorities to spot and uh, they did eventually find it dozens and dozens of petrol stations and the criminals were 
offering it for sale to members of staff. Sometimes they were posing as people there to uh, make software upgrades to the pumps and to the tills as well. Hmm. And it turns out that it's, you know, quite a large fraud in terms of the amount of money that the criminals may well have made off with this. Now, I feel as though I get ripped off pretty much every time I go to a petrol pump anyway. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure there's any malware involved in that. Although, actually, um, just to digress for a moment, I used to have a big gas-guzzling Volvo, and I had it converted to run on LPG, liquefied petroleum gas. You knew exactly how much gas went into a pump, and there was one particular petrol station, I'm not going to say where it was, but every time I filled up there, it would cost me about £10 extra to fill Ooh. up, and I complained, and I complained, and every time the guy behind the till said, oh, no, 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 we have it checked, we have it checked, we have it checked. And then... I would definitely agree with you because I remember what, there was one in Oxford as well and certainly there's more than one in Croatia, <laughs> if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not sure we can put that down to malware, but, uh, you know, it, it, it does make you wonder um, how many other bits of infrastructure like this, you know, whether it's electricity meters, perhaps, as well as petrol pumps that have got some pretty sticky malware in there and a pretty sophisticated operation that uh, say it, it seems to have taken the FSB in Russia quite a long time to, uh, to to crack this criminal gang. When I was reading about this story, I, I, I was hearing that the excess fuel, the fuel which effectively you've mm. paid for, was being put into a, a spare reservoir yeah. at the petrol station, which maybe had been closed for maintenance or someone had said that that had happened. And then that petrol that fuel was being sold on and that's how the scammers were actually making their money out of this it sounds like a very complex uh, operation to me it, it really does doesn't it there must be easier ways to make money than this you know because when i heard about this as well i thought well what, i wonder if there's anything else in the high street maybe where this kind of scam is going on you know like, like if you go to a cheese emporium and uh, you're buying your <laughs> weekly <laughs> weekly chunk of cheddar or whatever, whether you're not getting the correct weight and some of the cheese has been squirreled away by some cyber criminal who's going to sell it to the EU cheese mountain and make himself a, a tidy profit <laughs> as well. It's Yeah, I wonder, it must have been some kind of internal job, to be honest. The, 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 the people who were working for the company must have been in it on on the whole thing because you really need to understand how the whole yes. system works from the from the actual petrol pump to the till to the sensor that sends the the actual readings of how much fuel there is in that the tank uh, of the petrol station like they faked everything and they send those sensor results back to the central location and of to course fake. to make sure that you've got an entire reservoir underneath your forecourt yeah. that's empty yeah. into which you are siphoning off this up to seven percent of excess fuel no there's massive collusion here and it does highlight the problem that you know while uh, the petrol pumps are kind of one part of the chain here people are another you know massive part of it and if it wasn't for the people here who were you know part of the crime then uh, then there wouldn't have been that crime in the first place and you know what i bet this actually gives us a clue as to how the fsb found out about this mm. my guess is it wasn't someone stumbling across a malware infection or something like that it was probably someone involved in the scam or associated with the scammers themselves who went and grasped them up. Someone who maybe fell out with them, didn't feel like he was making enough money from the scam. Maybe he felt he'd been conned out of some of the money which he was owed, went to the authorities and said, I think you should go and have a look at those petrol pumps because there's something rather sneaky going on here. 
That would be my guess. It's going to be interesting to to wait and see whether new details will come up anytime yes. soon. Yeah. In the meantime, my recommendation uh, is uh, be very careful around petrol pumps. In fact, I, I think you should be careful around petrol pumps anyway, because rather like the gates which go up and down at car parks, letting you in and out. I think we need to be really polite to those devices because one day they might rule the world. So I always make a point of saying thank you to them um, because of the rise of the machines which is occurring. One day they could be our lords and masters. Especially the ramps of, at the parking where they let you out <laughs> of the parking. Yeah, because if you're trying to sneak sneak out, if you've angered them, they could clonk you on the head. Absolutely. Right? It's dangerous. Right, we'll be right back. After this break, for Pick of the Week. Big thanks to LastPass for sponsoring the show this week. LastPass Enterprise makes password security effortless for your organisation. Simplifying password management for companies of every size gives you the right tools to secure your business with centralised control of employee passwords and apps. Go to smashingsecurity.com slash LastPass to see why LastPass is the trusted enterprise password manager of over 33,000 businesses. Remember CloudBerry? With them, you can back up files, folders, and system images to the cloud storage of your choice. There's no subscription. Plus, you get 30% off the Windows desktop version if you go to smashingsecurity.com forward slash CloudBerry. On with the show. And welcome back. And you join us at our favorite part of the show, which we like to call Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. Pick of the Week. We're all such professionals. It's, it's as though we don't even miss her, isn't it? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Nobody can replace Carol. Come on. No, no one, no one could. Who'd want to? Everyone on the show chooses something which they like. That's the idea of Pick of the Week. It could be a funny story, a book they've read, a TV show, a movie, a record, an app, a website, a podcast, whatever you like. Doesn't have to be security related necessarily. Oh, you're right. We do miss her. Um, so my pick of the week this week is, did you know that this month is the 40th anniversary of something rather close to my heart? As you probably know, gentle listener to the show, my favourite TV programme of all time is Doctor Who. We all know that, yes. It is, forget I, Claudius. Forget Edge of Darkness, right? Doctor Who is the greatest TV programme of all time. And, however, there are other shows which are pretty good as well. And one of them is a sort of offshoot of Doctor Who, which first appeared 40 years ago. 40 wow. years ago. I remember watching it 40 years ago this month. And it is Blake Seven. Ta-da. Ding-a-ding, ding-a-ding, ding-a-ding. I, I remember watching Blake 7 too and um, it was a bit weird uh, I think I was a bit young at the time and uh, and I thought like it's not as uh, richly produced as let's say Space 1999 if you oh, remember no. that one Space uh, 1999 was an enormously yes, uh, expensive show expensive right yes. so, so it was really impressive for me Space 1999 but there was something around about Blake 7 and I remember watching every single episode uh, and if you ask me what's it all about now I would have no idea <laughs> Well, you see, I'm not surprised that Blake 7 appealed to you, uh, Vanya, because, of course, you were born uh, under the communist yoke. 
Absolutely. And in many ways, that's what Blake 7 was all about. It was a hard, gritty, Orwellian nightmare, just like the one that you were living day to day. But it was one which starred Rog Blake, Kerr Avon, Zen, the computer with an attitude, the Liberator spaceship, Orac. Serv- do you remember Serverland? No. <laughs> David, do you know what I'm talking about at all at so this point? I remember my dad getting quite excited about Blake 7. Um, sorry, that sounds awful, but it's true. And so maybe for the repeats in the early 80s, I was watching it in black and white. But I oh, can't bless. say I remember the, the show itself. I'm oh. so sorry. No, that's all right. That's all right. Well, so, some men of a certain age may actually have a bit of a thing for Serverland. She was, she was the equivalent of... Imagine a sexy Margaret Thatcher. She, she <laughs> sorry, was, sorry, that, those two imagine? words just do not compute. <laughs> she was, she was the supreme commander. So she was basically Darth Vader in the show, right? She was the ultimate baddie in the show. So she, she was sort of a, a head honcho in the Federation, who were the baddies who were ruling most of the universe. Blake and his buddies who were all criminals who'd been framed by the Federation or, you know, or maybe had been involved in some pickpocketing or some smuggling or something like that. They were the rebels. So they were basically uh, the equivalent to the rebels in Star Wars versus the Empire. Anyway, it's my pick of the week, not just the show itself, but there is on YouTube, if you want to remind yourself of Blake 7, a terrific documentary in three parts. It comes to about maybe two and a half hours. I've really enjoyed watching it. I will put a link in the show notes, which goes behind the scenes. It's directed by Kevin John Davies, who made more than 30 years in the TARDIS, another a terrific Doctor Who documentary. And I hope some people can rediscover the show from that. Yes, it is 40 years old, and you've got to bear that in mind in the pacing of the show. But I think it's about time that Blake 7 was reimagined for the 21st century, uh, a bit like Battlestar Galactica came back. And actually, Battlestar Galactica, when it came back, was so much better so much than the original better than series. The original, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why it's my pick of the week. Vanya, what's your pick of the week? Well, I've been to Cuba recently and, ah. and really had, a, had an interesting time there. And being from a communist country myself originally, it, would be, it was interesting to see how a communist country developed 20 years after basically all things disappeared. Did it feel like the old days, Vanya? Did you feel like, oh, this is, I'm, it, ba- I'm home now? On some level, it felt like the old days. Some levels, it's a, Cuba is a very specific case of a communist yes. country. So yes. it's not, not really like the, the, the country I used to live in. Like, well, like in Croatia, it used to be a, a communist country or Yugoslavia, how the country was called at the time. But we, we really had a, like more of a market oriented economy. And there in Cuba, they really tried to live this sort of, idealistic dream of uh, of everybody being mm. equal um, mm. so but my pick of the week is not to uh, recommend people to travel to cuba now and it's not going to be very easy for everybody especially for the people in the us but possibly the best thing they can do uh, is to to watch uh, if they're interested in cuba to watch a documentary that's streaming on next it's called Cuba and the Cameraman. And this is the documentary that's recorded and directed by John Alpert, who's a, a, a kind of a seasoned New York City journalist who documented his travels to Cuba over a period of more than 40 years. So hmm. uh, it's, it's, it's a really interesting take. And you could see how Cuba has been developing over time. And you could see the economic crisis when the Soviet Union collapsed and they had this 
so-called special period where they really they were so much supported by the Soviet Union when the the help and the money coming in stopped coming in they really didn't know how to handle that until they made a, a connection with Venezuela mm-hmm. but i think what's the most interesting is with the documentary is that it follows the journalist coming in for the first time with the with the with the video camera one of the first video cameras when the whole gear set was weighing something like uh, like 40 kilos or 90 pounds so they had this little uh, coat like a baby uh, <laughs> thing uh, to to kind of lug this around so when they were filming one of these event when Castro was uh, speaking Fidel spotted them and he asked them to to come to to him and to meet and that's how this sort of almost like a friendship <laughs> between Fidel Castro and John Alpert started wow. so John Alpert was one of the the the, the only journalists that got to travel with Fidel for example on, on his trip from uh, Cuba to uh, New York to address the United Nations General Assembly for example so you could see there's so many little gems so between Fidel and John Alpert but he also follows perfectly ordinary families, some in Havana and some in rural areas of, of Cuba and their development over those 40 years. So, so it's, it's, it's really interesting to see how, how Cuba developed from really super hard communist country to a little bit softer, but just a little bit softer, the version that we've seen when we traveled there in November. Hmm. I have to make another Cuban-based recommendation off the back of that. Uh, one of my favorite, most treasured DVDs, although a kind of not much longer going to have anything to play the DVD in. Um, (laughs) So you can probably get it from Netflix or from uh, Amazon Prime, is Buena Vista Social Club, which is a real celebration of the music of Havana Mm -hmm. and of Cuba. And um, an American guitarist called Ry Cuda went there back in the Mm mid-90s or so. And uh, in the same way that, I guess, Paul Simon went to various bits of the world and stole their music, uh, Ry Cuda went to Cuba and um, managed to, um, I guess... Uh, compile, collect, visit lots of uh, amazing Cuban musicians like uh, Ibrahim Fajer and um, uh, Compe Segundo. And it, it's the imagery, it's all the old cars that are lying around, all the wonderful yeah. architecture, these marvellously lived in uh, places and people who've lived there as well, telling their stories, but of course through the poetry of music. And I'm, I'm getting goosebumps just remembering some of the songs right now. So um, yeah, if uh, I, I haven't been to Cuba, but I feel as though I've got a real sense of it from uh, Buena Vista Social Club, and I'll certainly look up Cuba and the cameraman as well. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 Cuba, the government is, is a little uh, less polished, but <laughs> uh, but it, 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 absolutely, it's it's a great. I think it's it's it, it shows Cuba in subjective, but but also pretty mm. realistic uh, view of the journalist. Mm. Sounds great. Love a good documentary, David. What is your pick of the week? My pick of the week is another app. So I bowled you over with my Pomodoros uh, a few weeks ago. (laughs) So uh, this week, I'm going back to being very, very British, less Italian. Um, And being British, I love nothing more than small talk about the weather. Now, what do you know? There are some apps for that. Now, one of the best known, I guess, uh, apps for weather. It's called Dark Sky. It's by Jackadam and it's hyper local weather. It uses your GPS on your phone to give you minute Mm. by minute, super, super accurate forecast. I don't know if you've come across it before, but you can literally boil an egg to the accuracy of its (laughs) rain prediction. And it's, you know, number one in the app store for weather. And it's got 
Apple Watch complications. It's US, UK and Ireland only. But I'm not here to recommend that because it's been well recommended before. Instead, I'm recommending another app which uses the same weather source as uh, Dark Sky. And this is called Carrot Weather. Now, what? Yep, it's called it Carrot Weather. <laughs> there are a handful of apps that are carrot apps. Right. Now, um, it uses, like I say, it uses the dark sky weather data as a source, but it displays it through the prism of a sardonic human hating uh, AI called Carrot. And um, <laughs> that sounds great. Yeah. Okay. So let me let me just give you an example. On Sunday morning here in London, anyway, it was uh, two or three degrees Celsius. It was chucking it down with rain, mm. and um, I just opened up the weather app to see what it said, and um, it's got. Some amazing one-liners, lots of them Donald Trump related, but uh, it just pops up and <laughs> said, and 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 it speaks from your watch or from your phone, and it said, "Yep, it's fucking raining." <laughs> now it's a paid-for app, shock horror, but the pick-me-up that this app gives me whenever the skies are grey and it's chucking it down with rain outside, I've found this app to be far more cost-effective than a double espresso from my local coffee shop. So um, if you're wanting something that's going to make you smile, even when it's grey outside, is going to make you just raise, a, just, just raise a little grin around your face uh, and also be <laughs> damn accurate when it comes to the weather, I wholeheartedly recommend Carrot Weather. It's by Grailer and you can download it for iOS and also for Android. It's such a simple thing, but somehow it makes the world that little bit brighter, doesn't it? Certainly does a mine. A bit of gratuitous swearing. Well, from one sardonic human-hating artificial intelligence to a sardonic human-hating artificial intelligence on this end of the microphone, um, that sounds a fantastic pick of the week. Thank you very much. Well, that just about wraps it up for this week. It's been a bit of a different show, really, hasn't it? Has anyone felt like something's been... Have we forgotten something? Someone? Can't remember. Must be something. All that remains is for me to tell you that if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can do so at SmashInSecurity without a G. Twitter wouldn't let us have a G. Thank you very much, both David and Vanya, for joining us this week. And... Thank you as well for tuning in at home. If you like the show, rate it on Apple Podcasts. It really does help new listeners discover us. And that gives us a little sort of, you know, a little tickle under our armpits and makes us happy. I don't know what I'm saying, actually. <laughs> Go to smashingsecurity.com for past episodes and for details on how to keep in touch with us. Until next time, bye-bye. Cheerio. Bye. Bye-bye-bye. say that i got a, the best present for the person that's missing at the show and uh, it's it's actually a song that the same person that's missing from the show has recorded for me so today is your birthday well the day after your birthday and 
that we know. It's not your birthday. How old are you now? Sorry, how old? Jesus. What happened? Where did all the time go? Most of it was sleeping. Some of it pooping. A lot of it laughing. Too much of it working. And just not enough eating banana cake. So go eat banana cake. Because it's your birthday.